the framework of business is completely different in the new normal. To explore culture as the strategy, we have to look in places we haven't before. Looking into company culture from the C-suite to employees and from Fortune 500 to startups. It's time to understand the human side of company culture and the new shape it is taking. This is the conversation on Culture Factor 2.0, and I'm your host, Holly Shannon. I'm really excited to share this with my Culture Factor 2.0 community. I've published Zero to Podcast. It was a book that I built to start my podcast, and I created it for myself just so that I could make other podcasts down the road. And then I realized that it's not just for me, it's for anyone looking to try podcasting for personal or professional reasons. So I'm also really excited to tell you that it already hit the top 10 in three best-selling categories on Amazon and number one in hot new releases in two categories. And even more exciting, the University of Chicago now carries it in their bookstore. So go buy your copy and get started. Zero to Podcast will be in the show note. I'll leave a link there. Or you could go to hollyshannon.com and you could buy the book and get any help you need building it for you or your company. Now on to our show. Dr. Laura Gallagher is an organizational psychologist, speaker, and leadership coach. She began her career at NASA Kennedy Space Center. After the Space Shuttle Columbia exploded upon reentry in 2003, killing everybody aboard, Kennedy Space Center hired Laura and a team of organizational psychologists to change the cultural influences that were deemed to play a role in the tra- tragedy. She worked for eight years with NASA to positively influence culture, develop leadership capacity, and improve organizational performance at Kennedy Space Center. She was also hired to help manage the change associated with radical changes in the performance management process and philosophy at Walt Disney Parks and Resorts. Laura's company, Gallagher Edge, applies the science of human behavior to organizations so they can get their edge, achieve together, and enjoy the journey. And today we're going to dig in a little bit with Dr. Laura Gallagher and find out a little bit more about what she does and find out a little bit more about the stories behind um, NASA and Disney. Welcome, Dr. Gallagher. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. Excellent. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, Such a unique time, I think, in everybody's history. Um, You started at at NASA, so we will start there. Um, But, you know, as a world, we all watched um, Space Shuttle Columbia tragedy unfold. Like we all saw it, saw it on TV, and it was really um, a pivotal moment, I think, for most people. And you had pointed out to me at one point in time that NASA was rated the number one place to work with exceptional company culture um, when this happened. Um, so I guess that brings me to the the higher question here. So how did this happen? Yeah, it's it's one of the most startling things about that whole experience, right? And so the first lesson, I think, for leaders is to take note that you might have an organization that people love and they're happy to be there and they're really engaged, but your culture might still not be designed for the results you want, right? And so, like, I'm a huge advocate for creating uh, the kind of work environment where people love to be there and they're engaged like that that's all great that's all really good stuff and it's not enough so and holly i know that we only have so much time so i have to caveat this by saying that 
the complexity of everything that was going on at NASA when the Columbia tragedy happened is more than what we can cover in the time. So everything that I share is going to be, you know, just pieces and parts of the broader picture. And it's one of the things about organizations that we really want leaders to understand is that they're, they're complex, adaptive systems. And there's a whole lot of theory and stuff that goes into really understanding what that means. And so I'm happy to share pieces and parts and stories that will resonate and have lessons from um, from those stories. And there's always more than than what I have time to share. Of course. Well, I I, um, I would expect as much. I mean, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big organization, and I'm sure over the many years that you were there, there was a lot that was uncovered and a lot of work that you did. Um, perhaps you can share with us um, maybe the pieces where you saw that um, profound cultural disconnect? Yeah. Well, so let me start with, um, there's really two culture models that we operate from at Gallagher Edge. And one of them is called our inside out model. And this was our first model to try to simplify what's really going on um, when we talk about organizational culture. We call it the inside out model. There's really three levels to it. So you can imagine these three concentric circles. So we have self at the core, and then you have team in the middle, and then you have organizational culture um, at the outside. And we call it the inside out model because everything ultimately comes back to self. And, and not just in the sense of if you want to have great organizational culture, you have to have great people, but in the sense of everything about how leaders are showing up and making decisions and communicating with people comes back to how they feel about themselves. And that's not just leaders, that's humans, right? Every interaction we have, all of our behavior is rooted in how we actually feel about ourselves, consciously and subconsciously. And so a key piece of what we focus on when we talk about culture is self-awareness. We have to start with growing self-awareness. Awareness is so pivotal. It's that whole, you know, if I'm not even aware of something, then of course I can't possibly do anything about it. And so... I'll talk you through a few of the things that that we learned about what was happening with NASA's culture in the context of those three layers. So I'll start with the outside layer, right? So organizational culture. So org design is a really big piece of culture that people overlook. You know, they, they like to think culture can be simplified down to some of the artifacts, right? Like, oh, the ping pong table, or we have a great break room, you know, we do bagels on Monday, you know, like... <laughs> You're killing me already because that's not culture, no. right? We all know kombucha on tap is not the key to, to exactly, exactly. And it's it's a piece of it, right? Like it's an artifact, so it's a piece of it. But obviously, culture is so much more. And so, the design of the organization plays a really big role because the design of the organization—that's the environment that we're stepping into—and it gives people cues as to who gets to make decisions and how information flows and really, you know, how is work done here. And so one of the org design pieces that had a really negative impact was that the functions of safety and engineering were actually underneath the space shuttle program in terms of org design. So if you think about, you know, even just hypothetically, right, if you think about it, a team of the senior most leaders sitting around a table at NASA, you are not going to have the functions of engineering and safety represented to the same degree as you are the program. And the program is asked to think about things like schedule and budget. And so it's so easy to look from the outside and go, man, how could they be so stupid? Or how could they make that mistake? But it's a bad org design 
to have one leader who was supposed to simultaneously be balancing issues around schedule and budget and all the politics, because NASA is a government or organization, right? Like at any moment, they had the concern of funding being cut and the shuttle program being killed. And so they're trying to manage all of that. How can they possibly be expected to also manage to the same degree technical and, and safety issues, right? And so that was one of the key things that, that shifted as a result of the accident is that engineering was pulled out, not just of the shuttle program, but other programs. So it was its own organization with the same level of senior leadership all the way to the top. And the same is true for safety. And so really removing the, that, that organizational barrier is a huge impact to the way that people show up, the way that they communicate, the way that they feel empowered to have a voice and then make decisions. So at the org design level, I think that one was really big. It's, it's amazing to me that it didn't happen sooner if that was the way the structure was in place. Yeah. I mean, and it's a good point, you know, because so Columbia happened in 2003 and Challenger happened in the 80s. I think it was 86. Um, people often confuse them. Challenger is the one that most people think about because a lot of people were watching during the launch, right? And um, it was even more watched than, than most launches because there was a, a teacher on board. Um, and so they definitely learned some things about the design of the organization and the power dynamics in the room and flaws in decision-making in the 80s. And they did a lot of things to really improve safety culture. But, you know, feedback loops play a really important role in culture too. And that, that was one of the challenges. So, you know, between 1986 or 87, or I can't recall exactly when things returned to flight because I was just a kid then. I was a baby. I didn't... <laughs> I wasn't working there then. Um, I could do some research. But so, you know, between 1987 and, and 2002, they didn't have any any safety incidents with the shuttle program. That's a long time. It's a really long time. And yeah. when things are going well and there are not safety issues happening, then people start to go, do we really need to put this much focus on safety? Do we really need this much? Or they don't even realize that there could be something yeah. wrong, right? They don't maybe even realize there's something inherently amiss yeah. Uh, remiss in, in the whole yeah. system, right? Until And so it's that weird thing where, you know, success can actually start to work against them, right? It can create some overconfidence. Um, and then something else that, that was very true here. So a lot of people don't know, I didn't know before I worked for NASA, the details of actually what happened. So when Columbia launched for the, for the last time, there was a piece of foam that fell off of the external tank, which is that big orange structure in the shuttle system. And it struck the orbiter, which is the part that actually looks like the plane. That's what we think of when we think of the shuttle. But we didn't know exactly where it hit, right? So NASA had um, you know, some video footage, but they did not have the level of imagery and specificity to see. It happened 81 seconds into launch. And so it was pretty far away at that point. You know, We only knew so much. And part of the problem with all of the success that NASA had had between, you know, 87 and 2002 is this had happened before. We had seen foam fall off of the external tank and hit the orbiter before. So there was this normalization of a deviation. And this is, it's actually a good lead in to the team level, right, of our inside out model, because another key takeaway was how critically important it is to truly listen and listen to diverse perspectives especially if it feels like it doesn't make sense. So Wayne Hale, and I give Wayne Hale a lot of credit because he's been very public since the Columbia accident with, with his own self-accountability and acknowledging um, ways in which he failed and how much he learned about the importance of listening. Because he was sitting there in a room and engineers showed him the footage 
of the phone hitting the orbiter from the launch. And he was sort of like, okay, well, yeah, this has happened before. And it's something that we deal with when the orbiter comes back and we process it and get it ready for the next launch. Like, what's the big deal? Right. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't, there was so much uncertainty around it. They just didn't know for sure. They didn't know how bad the damage was. They didn't know exactly where it hit. They could not predict with any degree of certainty what was going to happen. And so all of the success and the fact that, yeah, foam has fallen off and hit the orbiter before, it was totally working against them. And so one of um, Mr. Hale's takeaways was, oh my gosh, I, I can't get, you know, cocky or arrogant and think that I just, I know everything because these engineers were worried that it was more than what they'd seen before. But if they weren't really articulate or clear in their messaging, and then he was also somewhat dismissive of it, they become even more sort of bumbly with it. This is what happens to us. And we're not really listened to well. And so then the message gets lost. And so at a team level, I think one of the most important takeaways is listening. And I know that that can sound so rudimentary, Holly, because it's like, yeah, active listening, this is super important. But no, like you have to actually do it. You have to actually get past the impulse of like, no, you're wrong. You shouldn't feel that way. Let me tell you how it is. And truly listen, create space, say, tell me more, help me understand. If somebody... I, I think we we are all guilty of thinking what we were thinking in our head, what we want to say in that moment and holding on to that thought process while somebody is still yes. talking. And um, gosh, how many of us feel like we're really busy and we feel like we don't have time for a conversation and we feel impatient in the conversation. And so we're not listening very well because we're so busy. I mean, that's pretty much everybody, right? <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. Or, or, you know, probably a third component might be um, when you know people um, you think you know the yes. story, you know, you think you know what they're going to say, like you could finish their sentence, but very often you don't know. And, and, you know, Mr. Hale probably had several people that might've been saying something, but he had already heard the story about the phone before they'd been looking at that for over a decade. So again, the normalization, it was, it's almost like you can't fault him for not actively listening because it was something that had been going on all along. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I think it's really important, you know, when we take a look at what happened at NASA um, with the Columbia accident, I really want to stay away from this whole idea of blame because it is this complex adaptive system and there are so many contributing factors and blame is like cancer in an organization. If you've got a culture of blame, then you've got a culture of defensiveness, which means you are killing collaboration, you're killing communication, and you're creating a kind of environment where people feel like they can't be themselves, they don't have psychological safety, there's no sense of belonging. Like it just, you know, it creates all of this negativity. And so we're huge advocates for this idea that if you really wanna create a culture of accountability, you have to get away from blame completely you have to really emphasize self-accountability. And again, that's where we come back to self, right? And so that brings us to what's most important. If each person in an organization or on a team is always coming to a problem-solving conversation through the lens of what was my contribution, if even 1%, through both my action or my inaction to this very situation? And we actually use an exercise that's so powerful, Holly. And tell me if you've done anything like this, where we call it the self-accountability circle. It comes from the work of the human element, which is a really amazing program. And it literally is this process of, it's very structured. We go around, each person answers the question, what did you do to prevent a solution to the problem? 
Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) What did you do to prevent a solution to the problem? So we're not even saying like, how did you cause the problem? Or like, what did you do wrong? It's, hey, what did you do to prevent a solution? And when people are thinking about both action and inaction, there is so much that comes up. And so we go around in a circle and it's one at a time. And when each person gives an answer, the person who asked says, thank you. We always want to say thank you. It's really important because that's a vulnerable moment. If I'm sharing in a group of people, here is something that I did or did not do that prevented a solution to the problem. That's me being vulnerable. And that's so important for teamwork. That's me stepping up to say, I could have done something different. I am not perfect. Right. And it's acknowledging that with the gain of, I want to do better in the future. So we say, thank you. And you continue and you don't just go around once you keep going around, you go around and around and around. And one of my favorite stories of this, Holly, actually didn't come from NASA directly, but we were bringing this circle to one of my clients and the second person in, he had that answer that I know some of your listeners are like, okay, but what if somebody's like, nothing, I didn't do anything, right? Because that happens, right? If there's an absence, I'm sure it does. If there's an absence of self-awareness, right? Or there's a lot of defensiveness and therefore uh, a self-accountability gap, you're going to get that response. And so I won't go into all the details of how we managed it because I wanted to manage that very carefully. We needed to have the full group buy-in for how we were going to handle this person wanting to skip, right? But we got full buy-in. Everybody said, yes, they agreed. He could go ahead and skip this round. Let's continue around the, the room and let's see what happens when we come back to him. And when we got back to him, not only did he have something for that round, he went around with everybody six, seven more times, just like everybody else. And it, that's amazing. It was so cool. That's amazing. Do you know what? I think that, um, you know, ego is a really, um, is really tough, right? Like the, the ego can really play such a, a strong part. And, you know, by watching other people be vulnerable over and over and over again, it probably allowed for his or her defenses to come down and to not let the ego be such a driver. Yes, absolutely. Because- so vulnerability is courage. Um, so wait, 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 I have a better way of saying this. So vulnerability is courageous and courage is contagious. Oh, I love that. <laughs> right. I was like, I know there's a way this rhymes. Hold on. <laughs> but it's so true. And, and it really, it really is contagious for people. And it sets the tone such that if one person on the team is not vulnerable, they stick out like a sore thumb. And I've had that too. I've worked with teams where everybody except for one person was really leaning into vulnerability and that person self-selected out so fast. And I went to the CEO after and I said, Hey, you know, how are you feeling about her, her leaving? And he said, I am so relieved. (laughs) And you know, the invitation was there for her to lean in and, and to be vulnerable with the rest of the team. And she just wasn't ready yet. And you know, that's okay for her as a person. She wasn't ready yet. She had things to work through. And I imagine this was years ago that she's in a better place now. But for a team, for a culture to commit to say, you know what, we commit to being vulnerable. We commit to creating psychological safety because that's how we have the most important conversations, which is how we have the most effective decision making. That's everything when it comes to culture. I think you hit the nail on the head, Laura. I think it's the psychological safety. I think a lot of people um, don't feel that in their jobs. And so they choose to say nothing. 
um, or, or turn a blind eye on things that they see happening. Um, and, and then, you know, the complete opposite side of that is somebody who says, well, this is the way we've always mm -hmm. done it kind of thing, which is also kind of turning a blind eye. It's, it's almost like a, a lazy move. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a form of defensiveness actually. Right. So, um, just had this recently, you know, with one of our, with one of our clients, we think that the stories that, that come out of the Columbia accident from NASA are incredibly powerful. I mean, so I was 24 years old, Holly, when I was hired by NASA and I was told, okay, go consult with the senior executive service director of engineering. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, like, oh my yeah. God. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so that's hard. It was hard. It was really, really tough. But, but as a 24 year old, you know, getting my, I was still in school at the time. So getting my PhD in organizational psychology, wow. Talk about like the profound impact of culture. I mean, I always thought it was important, um, but I thought it was important because we spend so much of our working or so much of our waking hours working, right? We like in this country, especially it's such a huge part of our identity. And like, let's, let's go ahead and make these workplaces a really great place to be where we bring out the best in people. But to have that opportunity at NASA helped you realize like, wow, I mean, this is really, this is intense. You know, not every organization faces potential life and death when they're making poor decisions because of an absence of psychological safety, but it's true for some and, you know, beyond NASA. And so the invitation is for all leaders and all organizations to, to learn from each other instead of going like, well, that they're not us, right? Or, well, that's not how we do things here. It's just how we've always done it. That whole otherism is so dangerous and it's just raw defensiveness. It's, you know, I want to believe that I am different from that. I want to believe that I would never do that. And as soon as we start thinking that way, we lose the opportunity to learn from other people. We don't learn from history. We don't learn from the mistakes of others and we're bound to repeat them. That there's so much truth in there. Um, it, you know, being so young coming in, I'm surprised that they gave you the bandwidth to do that, but it, it's, um, it speaks to what you were just saying. Like it, it's just opening up your mind to conversations and being vulnerable and being accountable. And they allow, you know, you going in and speaking to NASA leaders at age 24, I'm still kind of floored by that. Like that uh, you must have learned so much. I, and I'm sorry, I don't think I'm even articulating well. I think I'm still stuck in the part where you said that you were 24 yeah. when you were speaking to, to the leader. So I'm sorry. I think I'm just botching my what I really want to say. But I think everybody probably knows what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, you know, so interestingly, Laura, um, when you... Disney came after NASA, yes. right? If I, okay. So, um, such I, you would think that would be vastly different. Um, and I think we all have in our head what Disney would be like, you know, because of course, you know, it's presented to us as children in a, a very, you know, it's marketed a certain way. Um, I know we probably don't have a ton of time, but the lessons learned through NASA and 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 then your time over at Disney. Could you share, you know, maybe briefly with us a little bit what that culture looked like and and what you were tasked with doing there? Yeah. So um, so Disney hired me because they wanted to make a pretty radical change in how they did performance management. So I think most organizations genuinely struggle with performance management. You know, if you go around and you ask people. 
hey, how do you feel about your company's performance review process? Um, it probably does not get a very good rating. Right? Like, yeah, those 365s, one-on-ones, there's like a, yeah. 60 surveys amongst all the meetings you have to go to and work your full-time Yeah, job. or like, you know, write up all of your accomplishments for the past year and, oh, like, let's set goals for the whole year and, okay, we had the conversation, quick sign this paper and, oh, we're going to give you a rating. We're going to number you. Oh. Um, it's, it's wildly ineffective and, and most people hate it. Like most people really hate the process, leaders and employees alike, you know, leaders often feel like it becomes a performance rating justification conversation instead of a conversation that's actually going to help that person improve their performance. So I applaud Disney for recognizing this was, you know, a useful thing to shift, like, let's do this differently. And they were really leaning into the science of human behavior and this idea that we cannot simultaneously judge somebody and coach them. It uses two parts of our brain. And so if we really want to improve performance through a performance management process, then we need to get people out of the the mindset of their being judged. It kind of goes back to the blame conversation where it triggers defensiveness, right? So if I'm not getting the highest possible rating, then that's probably going to trigger fears around my own inadequacies. And without even realizing it, I'll be defensive, which can manifest in so many different ways, Holly. Like we have this worksheet that um, has over 50 ways that people can express defensive behavior. We're very creative. Um, And so that defensiveness (laughs) means I'm not actually absorbing what you're telling me, which means I'm not actually improving performance. I probably actually feel kind of wounded coming out of it or deflated because I don't have a clear sense of how I'm actually supposed to get where I'm going. And the leader might have been saying really powerful things to me. But I just couldn't even hear it because I was so defensive around getting rated a four instead of a five or getting rated a three out of five. Like, that's a C. Like, most of us don't feel good about that. And so they were like, you know what? This isn't working. Let's totally change it. And so that's why they hired me was to help manage that change because this was a really, really big change for Disney. And it required a totally different level of leadership for leaders to show up in conversation and really learn how to serve in that coach capacity instead of the, I'm just going to give you a rating. And we had the one conversation and we checked the box and I'll see you next year. You know, it's interesting because, you know, Disney's known for how they serve their customers and how they leave people, um, how they, when people leave the park, for example, how they feel about themselves. Yeah. And it's interesting that that was not permeating in the culture. Well, so there there are pieces of it that were, and there's you know there's a couple different ways um, that I could describe that. And I will caveat by saying that I wasn't working quite as directly on culture when I was working for Disney. I was really focused on the change management around this performance management piece, um, you know, which certainly relates to culture. But I just want to be clear that I wasn't hired to like you know come in and really scope out the culture. There's a couple things I would say though. So one is because Disney does an amazing job of storytelling and they do an amazing job with all their cast members at saying, listen, you know, these guests, some of them have saved their whole lives to be able to come here. And so it is our responsibility, our duty and our joy to be able to make this a positive experience for them. And so there's a, you know, a ton of emphasis on that positivity. And I think that's what you're talking about, Holly, right? That like the experience that they create for people. And that is so cool and it's so great and there's there's two big implications there around culture one is does that focus on you know creating joy and creating a positive experience also impact people in that they think that they can't 
have difficult conversations with their coworkers, that they can't give somebody feedback that might be hard to hear, right? Or, or challenge something mm-hmm. if they think that it's not in the best interest of the organization. And so I think it can also detract from psychological safety if they think that they're supposed to keep that sort of everything's positive thing going all the time. Um, and then the second potential implication is around, um, you know, toxic positivity, this idea that we're really just supposed to be um, happy or pleasant or positive all the time, even if that's not how we're really feeling. And so if they have that expectation when they are guest facing, do they carry that back to, you know, conversations with coworkers and are they then suppressing emotions, which creates a lot of this emotional labor, um, which wears us out and is not sustainable. Um, and also detracts from psychological safety. So there are implications for how, you know, Disney focuses on creating these really amazing guest experiences that have unintended implications or impacts on what the culture is like. Um, And, oh my gosh, Disney is so big. So there is definitely like fragmented culture, right? Like culture is very dependent from my experience on what the leader is like over that particular area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know... It's interesting, you know, it it makes me think about the different types of personalities like extroverts and introverts and how they probably would have, um, you know, more extroverted personalities and positive ones that are client facing and, um, you know, ones that are maybe on the inside that are more introverted that are working cross-functionally with those client-facing personalities, it that can be a psychological block because they might not be able to um, mirror that level of positivity all day long. It's not in their makeup. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's I, I don't think that it's sustainable for most humans, but definitely there's going to be those individual differences that you're you're talking about, Holly. And you know when we talk about self and when we work on culture we're always working first with leaders on helping them to grow self-acceptance self-awareness and self-accountability and it's largely so that we can create more behavioral flexibility in how we show up like whatever your preferences are in terms of how you like to behave with other people is fine you know there's nothing inherently good or bad or right or wrong about being introverted or extroverted liking to be around people or not you know wanting to be in a position of um, control or not, whatever you prefer is totally fine. That creates no problems. The problem comes when somebody's holding rigidly to what their preference is and they are unwilling or in that moment unable to flex their behavior in order to be as effective as they can be in that situation. And that, that rigidity is all rooted in fear. And it's subconscious fear. And so that's why we, we go so deep into self-awareness and helping people figure out what is this like buried fear I have that causes me to be, you know, rigidly closed off. Like, no, I'm not going to let you get to know me or causes me to get rigidly high control, like micromanaging, even when I've hired an amazing team who does not need this level of oversight. And so helping people uncover the fears that create rigidity in their behavior is what allows them to get past the fear so they can flex their behavior as much as possible. And you need to do that as a leader. You have people to flex because you're, it's a tough job, right? Like I I always say it's hard to be a leader and it's even harder to be a good leader. (laughs) It really requires a lot um, in terms of 
what's going on for me personally in this situation? How is my fear getting in my way? And how can I develop the courage to trust that I can cope with whatever's going to happen and, and flex my behavior to meet the situation? Well, I think the world would be better if they hire Dr. Laura Gallagher and the Gallagher <laughs> Edge to come into their companies and work through some of these um, to streamline the way the organizations work and to support them and give them better um, better ways to work together. So um, where can people find you? Um, the best place to find us is um, if you go to gallaheredge.com slash join. That's the best place. And it is Gallagher. A lot of people want to say Gallagher because that's like four times as common, but it actually is Gallagher, just the one G at the beginning. So gallaheredge.com slash join. So my invitation would be um, if anybody is excited to learn more about these ideas, we have this free membership site called Insider Edge, and we have five-minute videos. So we take these ideas that you know we've been talking about over the last half an hour or so, and we break them down into these bite-sized pieces because that's how we're really designed to learn a lot of the time. And um, it's because we, you know, again, we're so busy, right? Everyone's so busy. So if you want to take even just five minutes a week, if you register, then you'll get an email from us once a week that says, hey, here's the video on the dashboard. Go check it out. And I think we can make five minutes a week, right? So that's the best way to get in touch. And once you're a member, you can join our, our webinars and all kinds of fun. Excellent. I will put that in the show notes so that people don't have to memorize it, but I wanted you to have an opportunity to, to share what you can uh, give to everybody. And five minutes a week, I think is pretty doable. Awesome. So thank you, Holly. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that you came on the show and um, we look forward to uh, sharing your story. It's, it's definitely an incredible journey that you've had. So thank you for coming on. Culture thank Talk. you for having me.